Well, a very good morning. I'm so sorry to hear that your pastor is not feeling well. I spoke to him this morning. And by the way, could I have the control from the chair? It's wonderful to see all those kids uh, a bit disorganized without their mothers. It reminds me of what uh, one of my pastors uh, shared last year. He said that on Mother's Day, his uh, little daughter asked him, he said, uh, Dad, what is Mother's Day? And my, the father said, well, Mother's Day is a day when mommy doesn't cook, doesn't do any housework, doesn't do anything, and we take her out for a nice dinner. Then the little girl asked, and what is Father's Day? The Father's Day is the rest of the year. <laughs> so Mother's Day is one day in the year where the mother doesn't have to do anything, and then the rest of the year is Father's Day. Well, we really appreciate the mothers in our midst. Um, I have three mothers that I'm going to celebrate with today, my wife and our two daughters, and they are just amazing as mothers. We thank God for every one of them. Well, one of the things you can do for our mothers today is give them a gift, and if you don't think that the gifts are given to them enough, you can always buy a book. Okay. Uh, this is a book, my latest book. I went on sabbatical last year and put together my thoughts in the book called The Narrow Road, which is also going to be the topic of today's sermon. You know, when I was a young Christian, I was told that the narrow road of discipleship is a mountain road. You know, one side is a cliff, on the other side is a mountain. So you have to be very sure to keep close to one side, be on the side of the mountain so you won't fall off uh, the side of the road. But over the years, uh, as I grew as a Christian, I realized that actually the narrow road is not a mountain road. It's a mountain reach. And you'll see that in a picture on the front cover of the book. It's a mountain reach where you can fall on the left side as well as on the right side. Now, I remember living in Hawaii and taking people on hikes up the volcano in, on the island of Maui in Hawaii. And in the hike, we have to walk a mountain reach where you could see both sides of the mountain. And it's a narrow road, and it's quite dangerous, because if you're not careful, you can fall on one side or the other. So in the book, I deal with how very often we are confronted with uh, extremes, um, like uh, people who look to the past and people who look to the future, people who concentrate the heart and people who concentrate the head. Uh, there's a lot of controversy over the issue of guilt and grace, uh, on prosperity and poverty, on high-tech and high-touch. So it's a good book for you to read, not just for mothers, but for everybody. Well, this morning we'll be looking at a passage from Matthew chapter 7, and I'd like to read from verses 13 to 29, and then I'd like to pray. Okay, Matthew, thir- uh, Matthew 7, verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enters through it. For small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Verse 15, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from uh, thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, 
you will recognize them. Verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drives out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Verse 24, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came, and the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the Streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell with a great crash. Verse 28. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowd were amazed at the teaching because he taught as one with authority and not as as the teachers of the law. Let us pray. Father, we pray that your word will speak to us. Make it real to us, Lord. Make it relevant. And speak to our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In the last two verses in the passage we read just now, it says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. You know, Jesus' teaching was marked by authority. The teaching of the religious leaders of his day lacked authority. The people saw the difference. Now, Jesus taught with certainty and conviction. Poise and power. His teaching carried weight and confronted people with a voice that comes all the way from the God Most High. I believe the authority lies not only with the way he taught, but also in the things he taught. Not only in his del- was his delivery powerful, but his content has something that challenged the hearts of the people. During an economic crisis in the United States, one of the presidents of the United States had to make some tough decisions. He conferred with his advisors, and after the meeting, the president emerged to meet the press. He was asked how the meeting went, and this is what he said. He lamented. He said, if I could only have a one-handed advisor, if I could only have a one-handed advisor, what he meant is this. What the people were telling him, Mr. President, on the one hand this, on the one hand this, on the other hand this. And no one could give him the advice that he needed. No one could tell him what to do. Now when we look at this passage and we read what Jesus said, Jesus makes all the choices of life and basically simplifies them down to two. Uh, Jesus did just that. His authority lies in the way he simplifies all the choices of life down to two, and also he makes it clear which of the two we should choose. Now, that is making things simple, isn't it? But we will find out also it is making things hard. Because when you finally have to come down to two choices, and you have to choose one or the other, and you know which one you should choose, it is simple as well as hard. So he speaks of two roads. Uh, the, The broad and narrow road, um, okay, it's working. Okay, maybe you should operate it from command control. He speaks of two roads, the, the two roads, the narrow and wide road. Then he speaks of two trees, the good tree and the bad tree. 
then speaks of the two foundations, the strong foundations and the weak foundations. When Jesus presents these sets of choices, he leaves us in no doubt which choice we should choose. There are only two, and we should choose only one. We need to choose the narrow path to walk the narrow road. We need to choose the good tree to bear the good fruit, and we need to build a strong foundation so that we may have a firm house. Today, I want to present those same choices to you. And my prayer is that at the end of the message, you will make the right choice. So let's begin with the two roads. Enter through the narrow road, or the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. For small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and a few find it. Now note the two sets of opposites. The big and small gate, the narrow and wide roads, the many people and the few people, and then, most importantly, the destination, destruction and death. Now let's consider the two roads, the narrow road and the broad road, or maybe the small gate and the big gate. Now, the big gate is prominent. It's visible to all. And we know this because there are many people going towards it and passing through it into the Broadway. It is also convenient because so many people can go into a big gate at the same time. You know, people, and by that I mean all of us, are attracted to what is visible and prominent, what we can see, and the first thing that we see. We are also attracted to what is convenient. Uh, we go to where things are made easy for us. And people in advertising especially, they understand this. People in marketing, they understand this. They understand this aspect of human behavior and exploit uh, this aspect of human behavior. How can you make sure that crowds will come to your shopping mall or to your restaurant? Well, you put it in the right location. You make it visible with prominent signs. You make it convenient with adequate parking facilities, proximity to bus stops and train stations. You know, I'm reminded of a story of a man who set up shop in a new shopping mall. Uh, he found himself sandwiched between two shops selling the same things. Fashion clothes, fashion clothes. The one on the left put up a sign that says lowest prices. And the, sign, the shop on the right put up a sign that says largest selection. Well, the man could not compete with either of them, so he finally put up a sign that says main entrance. A uh, uh, smart guy. You see, we're all attracted to what is visible and what is convenient and what is best for us. But look at the small gate. Jesus says only a few find it. It is hidden from view. You have to go and look for it. Not many people bother to do that. And that is why we find a few people going to it and few people going through it. Moreover, the gate is small, so, any, so only a few, perhaps one at a time, can go in. And when we come to the gate, we have to stand in line. It's not convenient. You have to wait for your turn. But the most important difference between the two gates is this. One opens to the broad road and the other to the narrow road. And Jesus' warning is this, broad is the road that leads to destruction, and narrow is the road that leads to life. One leads to destruction, the other leads to life. It is not obvious from the gate. When you enter it and walk on the road leading to it, one will lead in one direction, and the other one will lead in the opposite direction. Each will lead to a completely different destination. Now, you know that in any travel, in any travel, 
the most important thing is the destination. It doesn't matter where you start. It is where you end that is most important. Now, to illustrate this truth, I once came across this story about a young man, like this, a young man in a village in China who heard that war has broken out on the borders of his country. He took his bow and arrow, jumped on his horse, and sped off to defend his country. As he was racing along a mountain path, an elderly man stood in his way and asked him, stopped him and asked him, where are you going in such a hurry, young man? Out of my way, old man, he said, war has broken out in our country and I'm off to defend my land. And the old man said, how do you know you will defend your country? And the young man said, my heart is brave, my aim is accurate, and my horse is fast. Now, that may be so, young man, the old man said, but your brave heart, your accurate aim, and your fast horse will do you no good. How so, the young man said, because the war is in the north and you're heading towards the south. So in such a situation, the most important thing is not your brave heart or your accurate aim or your fast horse. It's the direction you're heading and the final destination. It's not speed, not courage, or whatever you have. It is eventually where you will end. So in life, the most important thing is not what we have or what we are doing. It is where we are heading, in what direction, and what final destination we arrive. So this morning, we need to ask ourselves whether we are heading in the right direction, whether we are on the right road, moving in the right direction. Are we attracted to the wide gate because it is visible and prominent? Are we attracted to the broad road because it's convenient and popular? If so, we need to remember where that road leads to. Does it lead to destruction and death, or does it lead to salvation and life? Well, there may be some of us here who may have yet to find the narrow road or the small gate. And my, I urge you not to delay. You may be in the church for the first time, or you may be in the church for a long time. But if you have yet to make a decision to follow Jesus through that small gate onto the narrow road, you need to make that decision today. Because that is when you cross from death to life, where you leave the crowd and follow Jesus, when you move from the wide road to the narrow road. And then Jesus went on to talk about the two trees. On the teaching of the two roads, Jesus warns us against following the crowd. It's easy to go where many people are going, to do what many people are doing, and to head where many people are heading. About the two trees, he gave another warning. He says, watch out for false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Now, the warning should be read together what Jesus says later on, uh, where he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does my, the will of my Father who is in heaven. In other words, do not be deceived. Just because someone uses the name of Jesus or uses religious language like Lord, Lord, it doesn't mean that they belong to Jesus. Now, how do you recognize if a prophet is a teacher from the, from the Lord? Um, Jesus gives us a very simple answer. By their fruit, you will recognize them. By their fruit, you will recognize that Jesus presents two trees, the good tree and the bad tree. You know, not too long ago, a friend of mine bought a house, and in the garden, there was a tree. Now, the previous owner told him there is a mango tree. My friend looked at it. It didn't look like a mango tree. He was told, if you don't believe, you just wait. 
when the fruit appears, take it, taste it, and you will know. Well, my friend waited. He waited for quite a while, and indeed, the tree was a mango tree because the fruit came out, and he took it, he ate it, and it was mango. You see, a tree is known by its fruit. By their fruit, you will recognize them. And to make his point, Jesus said it twice in verses 16 and 20. It does not matter how a tree looks, what its appearance is like, what kind of leaves, what kind of branches, what kind of trunk. Ultimately, it is a fruit that tells us what kind of tree it is. It's the same with a person. It is a matter what he or she says, what he or she does, what he or she claims. And ultimately, it is what he or she is. A story is told about a Jewish couple who was blessed with their firstborn son. Um, the father and the mother quarreled over the name. He wanted the boy to be named after his father, and she wanted the boy to be named after her father. They couldn't agree, so they went to see a rabbi. So the rabbi said to uh, ask the man, what is the name of your father? And the man said, my father's name is uh, Zechariah. Then he asked the mother, what's the name of your father? And the mother said, the name of my father is Zechariah. The rabbi said, no, then what's the problem? It's the same name. Well, the man said, uh, the, 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 the mother said, you don't understand. You see, his father, Zechariah, um, is a criminal. It's a thief. He was arrested. He was thrown into prison. I don't want my son to be grow up like to, to grow up to be like his father. But my father, my father was a scholar, well respected in the community, and I want my son to grow up to be like my father. So the rabbi thought for a little while and gave his buddy. He said, "Okay, why don't you do this? You name your son Zechariah, and you wait. If he grows up to be a thief." then he will be named after the father. <laughs> but if he grows up to be a scholar, he will be named after the mother. See, the name is not important. Right? Uh, what you call someone, uh, what you call yourself, who you really are is in, in your life, in your character. So Jesus here issues a double warning. First, he warned against false prophets and teachers. They claim to come in the name of God, but they are ferocious wolves. They have a different agenda. They promote themselves for their own selfish purposes. They use their followers for their own ends. Watch their lives carefully, and you will see that they do not manifest the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, Jesus warns us against ourselves. That's even more serious warning. We need to make sure that we do not become like false believers ourselves. So the solemn warning is that we can do all the right things and in the end find ourselves to be false believers, not just to be false teachers, but also to be false believers. We can reach a stage where Jesus will say to us, said those solemn words, I never knew you. For all that you have done, for all that you have claimed, for all that you have said, all the religious language you use, you are not one of mine. Depart from me. Is that possible? Yes, we can do all the things that make us look like we are Jesus followers or Jesus disciples. But if we do not have the nature of Jesus' disciple, then we are not one of his. So a person can attend church, 
for years. A person can know all the songs by heart. A person can listen to hundreds of sermons, put money in the offering, sits on church committee, but still does not know Jesus personally as Lord and Savior. I remember many years ago, I pastored a small church. They met in the home. And we had a visitor who came, and as part of the service, we allowed people to stand in the congregation and pray. And this visitor would pray eloquent prayers, beautiful prayers, quoting scriptures. And then we realized that our ladies were missing their handbags. Um, so one day we decided during the time of prayer to have someone keep his eyes open. And we found the thief. And the thief was the man who prayed those eloquent prayers. And I was, I was confounded, I was dumbfounded that someone who could pray such beautiful prayers was actually a thief who came in to steal from our ladies. You can pray eloquent prayers, you can speak in tongues, you can perform deliverances, miracles, preach to thousands, but you may not know Jesus personally as Lord and Savior. Well, there are many people around in the world, especially in places where Christianity is a majority religion, where everyone thinks of thinks he or she is a Christian simply because he or she is born in a Christian home and does all the Christian things. And our concern is especially for second, third, fourth generation Christians in Singapore, those who were born into Christian families and who grew up in a Christian environment, who does all the Christian things as a matter of routine. These are nominal believers. Well, we need to be careful. In fact, I... I have a pastor on my staff who told me this, don't assume that everyone in the church is a Christian, especially the young people and the children, because they know how to say the right things. Uh, so whenever we have evangelistic um, outreach, we invite all these people to the outreach, even though they already are Christians. Because sometimes in the course of an alpha course or Christianity Explored, you realize they are not. No, they, they know all the things in their head, but there's nothing in their heart. Well, we will, be eventually be, we will eventually be known by our nature or our character. Not what we say, what we claim, what we do, but what is inside us. And that brings us to the most important question. How can we show we belong to Jesus? How can we be sure that we have not entered in by the wide gate, walking the broad road leading to destruction? How can we be sure that we are not among false believers who will one day be cast aside from the presence of Christ? Well, we finally look at the two builders, the two foundations. Jesus ends his sermon with a parable, the parable of the two foundations. And this is what he says. Uh, okay, you can read it for yourself. We read it just now. Now, it's a simple story. Two builders embark on, a pro on projects to build a house. The first finds a place where the ground is hard rock. He digs into it and he builds a house on it. The second builder finds a place where the ground is sand. He digs into it and he builds a house on it. Now, you can be sure that if they started building their houses at the same time, the second builder had it easy because he built on sand, and he probably completed his building, his house, way before the first builder did because it's easier to dig into sand than into rock. This is easier to enter a wide gate than a narrow gate, a big gate rather than a small gate. Um, the sand is easy to build on, not the rock. And as we said on earlier, what is easy is not always the right 
choice. When we travel, the most important thing is not the ease of travel, but the destination of our travel. When we build a house, it's not the speed of construction, it's the strength of the foundation. So the test comes in a sudden storm. Uh, the rain pours down, the floods came up, the foundations of both houses are shaken. The house on the rock stood firm, the house on the sand collapsed. You see, what took time and effort to build stood the test. And what was built quickly and easily failed the test. Essentially, what Jesus is saying to us is this. What is important is not always what is easy. What is important is not always what is easy. You know, today we operate in a culture that wants things to be done quick and cheap, right? Quick and cheap. Um, goods and services must be fast, it must be good, it must be cheap. Now, I think in terms of goods and services, that's understandable. Whether you're eating at a restaurant or <clears throat> buying your service provider for your computer, you want something that is good, cheap and good, or cheap and fast. But can we carry that over into our Christian life? <clears throat> Where in our relationship with God, we also want things from the Lord, quick, cheap and good. I'm reminded of a story of a man who bought a house and renovated it. In particular, he gave much attention to the living room, where he hoped to impress his friend when he hosted them in his beautiful house. He wanted a painting in his living room that would be the accent. Uh, so he went to see an artist. He said, I want you to paint something that I can hang in my living room as an accent that will impress all visitors to my home. I want you to paint the crossing of the Red Sea by the children of Israel. I want a lot of drama, a lot of action, a lot of colors. The children of Israel fleeing in terror and the armies of Pharaoh in hot pursuit with their horses and chariots. The artist said, sure, no problem. Give me a month and it will cost you $1,000. The man said, no, no, I can't wait that long. My friends are coming this next week. Could you do it in one week? I'll pay $50. Okay, the artist said. Well, a week later, the man came to collect the painting. And some of you know what the painting looks like. Huh? The painting looks like this. Hmm. Can we see the painting, please? Okay. Well, the man said, what's that? The artist said, that's a red sea. You can see it's red. So where are the children of Israel? Well, they have crossed over to the other side. And what about the armies of Pharaoh? Don't you know they're all drowned under the sea? You can't see them anymore. Now, you want something quick and cheap, you won't have it good. If you want to build a house quick and cheap, it won't have a strong foundation. One of my favorite authors, A.W. Tozer, said this. He said, Christians habitually weep and pray over beautiful truth, only to draw back from the same truth when it comes to the difficult job of putting it into practice. It appears that too many Christians want to enjoy the thrill of feeling right, but are not willing to endure the inconvenience of being right. Let me say that again. Too many Christians want to enjoy the thrill of feeling right, but are not willing to endure the inconvenience of being right. How true. We like to feel good, but when it comes to the inconvenience of doing what is right, we draw back. You know, we have seen how easy it is to go through a wide gate, travel on a broad road, 
It's easy to say, Lord, Lord, with our words and make all kinds of claims. It's easy to dig in the sand to build a house. But it's hard. It's hard to enter by the small gate into the narrow road. It is hard to be what you claim to be, to match your life to your words. It's hard to lay foundation on the rock. But if we call ourselves disciples of Jesus, we really have no choice. We have chosen to walk the narrow road, turning neither left nor right. We have chosen to be the tree bearing good fruit. We have chosen to build our lives on the rock, a strong foundation. So, as I said at the beginning, Jesus makes all the choices simple for us. Just two. Just two. And by simplifying all the choices too, he makes it easy for us to choose. At the same time, he makes it hard because we have only one choice to make. We have to choose what he tells us to choose if we want to be disciples. But let me end with the good news. The good news is that eventually when we choose, Jesus tells us, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. John 15. That's why he said to the disciples, you think you chose me, but I chose you. The wonderful thing is when you walk through that small gate onto the narrow road, on the front of the small gate are the words, come to me, or you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. But the moment we walk through the gate and we look back, on the other side of the gate is written the words, you have not chosen me, but I've chosen you. And if Jesus had chosen us to walk with him, you can be sure that he's walking with us. He's walking with us. He's taking care of the tree to make sure that it bears good fruit. He's helping us to build that foundation on rock. So the irony of the Christian life is what starts off as difficult when the Lord is with us, it's actually not difficult. To me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest, take my yoke upon you, because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So that's the tension. The tension between simple and complex easy and hard. But there's a path we choose as disciples of Jesus. We walk through the small gate. We walk on the narrow road. We want to be a tree that will bear good fruit, and we want to lay our foundation on rock. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we are grateful to you for your word this morning, for reminding us that if we follow Jesus, if we are Jesus' disciples, we have to make a choice. And we have to make a choice for him. Not for our convenience, not for our ease, not for popularity, but for you, Jesus. Thank you for reminding us to keep our eyes on you, keep our eyes on the cross. And we know that even though the path may not be easy, you are with us. And that makes it, that makes it, makes the burden light and your yoke easy. And for this we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.